Optional add-ons. They are everywhere in our world today. Optional add-ons. Things that are nice, but not required. Nice bonuses, but not necessary. You go to a cafe. You order a coffee, a latte. Would you like an extra shot of espresso? Would you like some whipped cream with that? Optional add-ons. Good, but not necessary. You go to Jamba Juice. What would you like with your smoothie? You go to a smoothie bar. Would you like some optional add-ons? A shot of wheatgrass? A shot of vitamins? We've been studying the book of Proverbs over the last couple of months. Proverbs holds out, in these first nine chapters, the importance of wisdom. Holds it out as this thing that all of us should desire and want. But I wonder, as you've been reading Proverbs with me, or maybe even studying for this week, the passage we'll be looking at, do you tend to think of wisdom as an optional add-on? Something that would be nice, but not necessarily. Something that would be optional for the Christian life. Like a shot of wheatgrass, a shot of vitamins. Well, our passage this morning talks about wisdom, but not as something optional or additional to the Christian life, but as the one thing that is absolutely necessary, the one thing that is needful. In fact, our passage holds out wisdom as a matter of life and death. Turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 35. And for context, as we've been seeing, Proverbs is God's education course in true wisdom. God's education course in true wisdom. We saw in the beginning of the book, in chapter 1 and verse 7, that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That is, wisdom begins with a proper understanding of who God is, our creator and our judge and a proper understanding of who we are in relation to Him. That is, wisdom isn't just some interesting notions that we can grasp with our mind, but a proper understanding of who God is and who we are and of how we can be in a right relationship with Him through faith. The student of wisdom, as we saw in the following verses, must be able to distinguish, to tell the difference between the voice of wisdom and the voice of foolishness. That is, the student of wisdom, he or she must tune their ears to hear wisdom in God's Word and to tune out the voices of foolishness in this world. But as we'll see in our passage this morning, wisdom is not just an optional add-on, a bonus that is nice but not required. No, wisdom is the one thing, the only thing truly necessary. With it, you will be blessed. Without it, you will be cursed. So turn with me to Proverbs 3, starting in verse 13. And if you're taking notes, our main point this morning is this. Our main point is this. The wise are blessed, and the wicked are cursed. The wise are blessed, and the wicked are cursed. And we'll have two points this morning. Point number one. The wise are blessed, and point number two, the wicked are cursed. (laughs) We'll be separating this, Proverbs 3, 13, 
through 26 is point number one, and verses 27 to 35, point number two. It is my hope this morning that we would have hearts to embrace wisdom as the most valuable thing in the world. As we begin, let's read verses 13 to 18. Proverbs 3, 13 to 18, as we begin. This is God's word. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Under our first point this morning, we'll have three subpoints. This first subpoint, verses 13 to 18, is wisdom's blessing. Wisdom's blessing. This section begins there in verse 13 and ends in verse 18 with the same word. Do you see it? Blessed, blessed. You see here, the wise are blessed. Wisdom gained by the humble student, brings God's blessing. But the blessing of wisdom is so much better than the gain or the profit from anything else that this world has to offer. Look at how it's stated there in verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Verse 14, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver. Her profit better than gold. She's more precious than jewels. Wisdom gives more than anything that the fleeting pleasures of this world or the lottery have to offer. Look, look at how it goes even further there at the end of 15. We have silver, we have gold, we have jewels, and then we have this open-ended statement, nothing you desire can compare with her. Is there anything else that you can desire? None of it matters in comparison with wisdom. Wisdom is the most precious thing, the most important thing. So what do you desire this morning? What are you searching for? What are you aiming for? What are you running after? Wisdom is better. What do you want? What do you think will truly satisfy? Wisdom is even better than that. You see here that wisdom is continuing to be talked about as a woman. Lady wisdom or woman wisdom, this image, this metaphor that the writer of Proverbs has been holding out. She's referred to here as her and she throughout this section. And then verse 16, this image continues to be held up as this metaphor of almost like our Lady Liberty or the Statue of Liberty. This woman that has different symbols in her hands showing what she is like showing what she symbolizes, just as Lady Liberty holds out the torch and holds the, the, the book of the law in her hand, showing that she has the light of truth and the law. 
that guide freedom. So Lady Wisdom holds out in her right hand long life, and in her left hand riches and honor. But it's clear, because of what came before, that the long life and the riches and honor are not merely physical, because the things that she offers is even better than those physical things like silver and gold and jewels. She's offering some, something so much more, something eternal. Look as well of some of the blessings that wisdom offers in verses 16 and 17. Pleasantness. Peace. Verse 18 then picks up another metaphor. The metaphor of a tree of life. It says that she, wisdom, is a tree of life. The tree of life is introduced in Genesis in chapter 2. It was there at the beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve in paradise. The tree of life is this actual tree there in Genesis that was to give eternal life to those that ate of its fruit. It appears that Adam and Eve never ate of the fruit of the tree of life. They got distracted with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so then in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall and after the curse... God takes the tree of life up to heaven and says, lest the man and the woman eat from it, he removes the tree of life from paradise and it is there in heaven. And we find it again in Revelation chapter 22. It's there in the final state. It is there with with all of its fruit, offering eternal life to all that eat it and healing to the nations, it says. But here, the tree of life is a metaphor. Wisdom is a tree of life. It gives eternal life to those that lay hold of it. To those who hold her fast, they will be blessed. We see here wisdom's blessing. I wonder what it is that you desire this morning. I wonder what it is that you think is going to truly satisfy Do you see here that nothing in this world is going to truly satisfy you? I was reading uh, an old English pastor, J.C. Ryle, this week, and he had this to say about the happiness that this world has to offer. He said, let no one delude you or deceive you into supposing that you can be happy in this world without repentance. Oh, no, you may laugh and dance, and go upon vacations, and crack good jokes, and sing songs. But all this is no proof that you are happy. So long as you do not fight with sin, you will never be a truly happy man. Just as an opium eater needs a larger and larger dose, so does the man who seeks happiness in anything except in God. He needs greater excitement day after day and year after year. And after all, is never really happy. If you are pursuing things in this life, thinking that they will ultimately satisfy you, you are deceived. The pleasures of this world, though they may seem pleasurable for a moment, they will not last. And in fact, they lead to pain. Well, talk about this further, but the things of heaven are tasted by those who are on their way to heaven, even here in this life. These things that 
will one day characterize us completely when we are finally with God forever. We are able to, as Christians, to get a foretaste of it here on earth. We are able to have pleasantness in our relationship with God and peace in our relationship with Him and others. And we can truly say, even before we get to heaven, those of us who know Christ and are known by God, that we are blessed. Point, subpoint number two, wisdom's Lord. We've subpoint number one, wisdom's blessing. Subpoint number two, wisdom's Lord, which is 19 and 20. Look at verses 19 and 20 with me. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. The writer here turns from holding out the blessing of wisdom to now considering the Lord of wisdom. That is, the source of wisdom, where, where, where wisdom finds its root. And the answer, God himself. The writer here in Proverbs actually says wisdom was back there in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 when God was creating everything. Wisdom was there already because wisdom is an attribute of God. If you want to see wisdom's effects, wisdom's power, wisdom's results, look around at this beautiful creation. God used wisdom when he was creating the world, when he was founding the earth, when he was establishing the heavens. Look around. Do you see the beauty of this creation? Yes, it's flawed and marred by the fall, but there is real beauty to see. Do you see that beauty? God did that, and he used wisdom to do that. And this wisdom that God used at the beginning to create everything, it is a, as theologians call it, a communicable attribute. It is an attribute of God that he has, that he offers to us and entrusts to us and gives to us as a gift. We can take part in having God's wisdom, being entrusted with something of God's wisdom and be able to live our lives on this earth in wielding such wisdom for good, in creating beauty, and in establishing human thriving here on earth. The, the section here, talking about wisdom's Lord, takes an interesting turn in verse 20. He goes from talking about Genesis 1 and 2 with the creation to then turning to talking about the flood. There in verse 20, it says, By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 7. Now all of a sudden, he goes from talking about how God's wisdom was used to create and to found the earth to how God's wisdom was used to break open the depths and to cause the flood and to judge the earth. Here he introduces what he's going to get to throughout the rest of this passage, this theme of how God's wisdom enacts both blessing and judgment. It was by God's knowledge that he flooded the earth and destroyed the earth and destroyed sinful humanity, saving Noah. By his knowledge, he used wisdom to enact good and right judgment on those that had sinned against him. But do you see the next line? But also by his knowledge and wisdom... The clouds drop down the dew. See, water is being used on the one hand as judgment and on the other as a symbol of blessing. God 
is not only judging through the flood, but now continues to bring life through clouds and through dew and through rain. Our wise and good God enacts both judgment and blessing out of his good and right wisdom. I wonder as you consider God's wisdom, if you think about his judgment as being good or wise. Often as Christians, we can be nervous to talk about justice and judgment when it comes to our God. Those passages of the Bible that talk about him enacting judgment and justice on wicked humanity make us nervous. We want to just emphasize Jesus and not think about those passages that talk about sin and wrath and judgment. But God is not ashamed to associate himself with his wrath. No, his wrath and his alone is always good and right and just. And if he brings great wrath on sin, that means that sin is truly bad. It is great and evil and must be destroyed. See that wisdom's Lord here is God himself. And this attribute of wisdom that comes from him is available to those of us who would pursue it, who would listen to it, and who would ask for it. He is more than happy to give this wisdom, which is so powerful and so good, in measures to those of us who come to know him through Christ. A third sub-point in this section Verses 21 to 26, wisdom's benefits, wisdom's benefits, wisdom's blessing, verses 13 to 18, wisdom's Lord, verses 19 to 20, and now wisdom's benefits, verses 21 to 26. Let's read this section. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. The writer has been holding out wisdom as something good. Verses 13 to 18 has been holding out wisdom's source, wisdom's Lord in verses 19 and 20, showing how wisdom comes from God himself. It is one of his attributes. Well, now he turns to then giving a series of commands that will take up the rest of our section. And he begins with these commands, now telling us what to do in light of this truth. God God has held out wisdom to us. As good and beautiful, the one thing worth pursuing and having, showing us that it actually comes from him, from himself. And now he turns to tell us what to do in light of this fact. And the first thing that he says in verse 21, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. What is this command? Well, it's a command to focus your sights on wisdom. Why is this necessary to do? Well, because it is not going to be natural for us in this world to think of wisdom as the most important thing. It's going to be natural for us in this world, especially for young people, for young men and for young women, to think that everything else in this world has more value than wisdom. It will actually be countercultural and counterintuitive for us to continue to hold up wisdom as the one thing 
worth pursuing. And so the command now is, set your sights, my son. The father says, do not lose sight of these. Fix your attention on this. Do whatever it takes to focus on wisdom, to keep sound wisdom and discretion. And the reason, well, because it will be to your benefit. Life for your soul, adornment for your neck. We see here that life is what is offered by wisdom, eternal life. Verse 23, what is the result? Well, security. Security and safety and guidance as you walk through life. Or verse 24, no fear, sweet sleep. I remember as, as a, a kid having to share a room with my little brother. And he snored. And I remember getting so frustrated and telling my dad, why do I have to share a room with Jeremy? He snores. My dad said something odd to me. He said, do you know why he sleeps so well? I said, why? He said, a clean conscience. I thought he was weird for saying it. But it's true. If you have a clean conscience, if you are walking in truth and in holiness, your sleep will be sweet. You do not have to be afraid of the consequences of your evil and of your sin. If you are involved in sin and evil, if you are living a wicked life, your sleep is disturbed. Do you see here one of the benefits of wisdom is not having to be afraid because ultimately we know that if we fear God, we need truly fear nothing else. We need truly fear no one else. Look at 25 and 26. It stretches this out. Don't be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. See, another benefit here is confidence in the last day. Those who are wise have no fear, not only of things in this life, but have no fear of death, have no fear of the next life. There was a young man connecting our internet on Friday night, and I was able to share the gospel with him and tell him something about Christ. And it was interesting. He said to me, I, I believe in God, but I'm not sure what, what to do about religion. I don't really like religion. But then he said, but I am afraid of death. He said, I'm actually really scared of death because I don't know what, what happens on the other side. And I was able to offer him the hope of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the one person who went through death and came back again and can tell us about what's on the other side. He's the one human being that went through death and came back to life and offers us eternal life and offers us confidence in death, offers us confidence on the last day. One of wisdom's benefits is no, no fear, sweet sleep, and confidence on the last day. When the wicked will face terror and judgment, those of us who are wise, those of us who know God, and those of us who have been known by God will have nothing ultimately to be afraid of because we know that on the last day that we will be with God, with Christ forever. This is the hope of the gospel. The gospel teaches that we are all sinners, that what we actually deserve 
is this sudden terror and ruin that all of us are ultimately wicked. Our world tells us that all of us are ultimately good. We've just had some difficult things happen to us. If it wasn't for our experiences, we would all be much better people. The Bible says, no, it's much worse than that, that all of us, every one of us, you and me have sinned horribly against God. We have rebelled against Him as our good and right Creator and Judge. We have cast off His authority, and we have declared ourselves to be God, to be the ones to say what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. And because God is good and wise, He has judged sin and sinners. He has cast us out of His presence as we talked about in Genesis chapter 3. He has sent us away from from the, the paradise in which we once walked. But there is hope. Though He is a God who judges sin, He offers salvation through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, God, become man came to earth 2,000 years ago. He, he walked on this planet. God in a, a human body. He taught the truth. And then He died the death of a criminal on a cross. And He was raised from the dead, showing His power over sin and death. And He offers eternal life to any that would repent of their sins and trust in Him. And He offers to those of us who do this, who turn from our sins and trust in Him, life with Him forever. This is the message of Christianity, and this is the ultimate blessing of wisdom. That's point number one, the wise are blessed. Point number two, the wicked are cursed. Point number two, the wicked are cursed. Let's read the rest of our proverb, verses 27 now, down to the end, verse 35. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. But the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. The writer now turns to considering the wicked who will be cursed. But he considers the wicked through a series of of proverbial commands. And an interesting series of proverbial commands. Commands related to the love of neighbor. Commands related to social interaction with those we come across in our days. In other words, what's being held out here is what the wicked look like. And he's telling his the, the father is telling his young son to avoid these wicked things, to do not do these things that are wicked. These are the things that characterize wicked people. And we can learn through looking at the opposite of these what the life of wisdom looks like. And it is ultimately a life of love. Love for God 
and the love for neighbor. Look at these Proverbs, starting in verse 27. Don't withhold good from those whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. This one, as well as several others, are direct references to Leviticus chapter 19. The code of the Old Testament law talking about how it is that we are to relate to our neighbors. This is the passage, Leviticus 19, that Jesus refers to when he talks about the two greatest commandments. He says the two greatest commandments are Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from Leviticus 19. Well, in that neighbor code, Leviticus 19 verses 9 to 18, it includes things like this, not withholding good from whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now, the interesting thing about the neighbor law that this is referencing has to do with paying those that you have hired and not withholding wages. But it looks like the writer of Proverbs is broadening this principle to talk about showing love to neighbor and to those who are in need. To actually not withhold good, not just from those whom it is due in terms of who you owe to pay for doing work for you, but even to those who are in need. That those of us who are wise, who know God, who have received the love of God so generously in Christ, that we should be characterized by showing love to others and by showing love to any who are in need. In other words, those who know God are not cold-hearted when it comes to other people, but open-hearted. We aren't closed-fisted when it comes to those that we encounter in need, but open-handed. Look at verse 28, the next command. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, I will give it, when you have it with you. So now he goes even further, not just do good, but do good immediately. Not just focus on being kind to your neighbors, but do this kindness as soon as it's possible. Don't push people off. Don't harden your heart against people and procrastinate in doing good and doing kindness to others. But do it right away. Do it when the need presents itself. He then turns from that, holding out the importance of doing good and showing kindness to others, to then in verse 29, an even more extreme form of relating to neighbors, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. There are many laws in the Old Testament law code that have to do with relations to neighbors. It includes things like not lusting after and envying your neighbor for the things that he has, whether it's his wife, whether it's his servants, whether it's his possessions. But it goes further to not plotting evil against your neighbor in all kinds of ways. The extremes include standing up and giving false testimony against your neighbor to the point of of giving that person the death penalty because you lied about him, got rid of him. In other words, you used the law to kill your neighbor, to smaller ways, like moving ancient boundary stones, expanding your, your property by sliding those property markers over and over to give yourself a larger property. It seemed that this was a temptation, especially when your neighbor was old and couldn't remember or was weak and didn't have the energy to go around and figure out where his property was or at least used to be. 
But this principle is important, especially in an agrarian society, but even today. Neighbors are needed. They are helpful to have. To have a helpful neighbor nearby, Proverbs says in Proverbs 27.10, in the day of your difficulty, it's better to have a neighbor nearby than a brother who's far away. In other words, it's helpful to have neighbors that, that you can trust and that can trust you for your own well-being. Why would you do evil against your neighbor when they're there to be a help and a protection for you? Verse 30 is the command not to contend with a man for no reason when he's done you no harm. Or another way to put it is don't pick fights with people. Don't start fights with others. What benefit is that to you? And then it goes even further in verse 31. Don't envy a man of violence. Do not choose any of his ways. There is an attraction, especially for young men, towards violence. There's something exciting to us in our sin nature. The power, the control, the, the weight that we can throw around with violence. If we can scare people, if we can have them be fearful of us, we can exercise control, and there's an attraction to violence. But the wise are not so. They are not violent without cause. And we should not, not only be violent, but desire violence or envy those that are violent. We shouldn't be in awe of them, but we should see them for who they are, verse 32. An abomination to the Lord, hated by God. Because God ultimately is not violent. Though he enacts justice and judgment, it is not violent. It is good and right. And if we take up vengeance into our own hands, we will not enact true justice. But do you see the contrast at the end of 32? Though the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, the upright are in his confidence. What does that mean? Well, it means ultimately that the Lord brings those that are wise into his confidence. That is, he brings them not only into his presence, but brings them within his plans. Jesus says in John 15, 15, that, the, that, that the, the, the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But he says, not so with you, I have called you friends. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is that God has now brought us into his confidence. He hasn't just told us what he's going to do. It includes that. He's brought us into his plans. He has made us a part of his mission in this world. We are now like lieutenants or knights around his table, listening to his plans, his strategies, and we are able to enact them in this world. This section finishes with a list, 33 to 35, of very clear contrasts showing very clearly that there are ultimately two kinds of people in this world. Look there at 33 to 35 again. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. You see what this passage is saying at the end of the day. There are only two kinds of people in this world. There are those that are wise, and there are those that are wicked. There are those that know God, 
and there are those that are the enemy of God. And they will end up in two very different places, either with God in heaven forever or away from him, cast out from his presence, under his good and right justice and wrath forever. He hates evil. He hates the wicked. And one day, the wicked will be destroyed. I wonder what you think of such black and white contrasts. I wonder what you think of a passage like this. It says that there are ultimately only two kinds of people. We tend to think in more gray. Oh, this person isn't so bad. They've just had a tough background. Or, oh, this person isn't so bad. If they could just get a leg up, I'm sure they would be better. But the Bible says, no, ultimately all of us at our core are naturally wicked. And the only way for us to become wise is for a complete change to happen. For God to change us from the inside out. But it begins through listening to wisdom with our ears. And through repenting of our sins, humbling ourselves, coming to God, and finding in Christ the ultimate hope. For He alone is the source of true blessing. As we consider Christ in conclusion. Christ is the one who is truly wise, but he came to be that good neighbor and friend. He came to earth not to judge us, but so that the world through him might be saved. He came as the good neighbor to show kindness, even to those who were evil towards him, even to those who rejected him, who scorned him. He gave kindness. He offered forgiveness and he gave favor. And he showed that he was a friend to his people by laying down his life for them. Greater love has no man than this, than that he lays down his life for his friends. And this is what Jesus has done. But he's done this so that wicked people like you and me can receive at God's hands true blessing forevermore. As we conclude, consider your own life. Consider what it is that you're pursuing. Consider what it is that characterizes your life. Are you this blessed man or woman who's characterized by wisdom? Or are you one of these that are cursed? Another quote from J.C. Ryle as he considers that last day and looks back to this life. No man was ever sorry that he served the Lord. No man ever said at the end of his days, I have read my Bible too much. I have thought of God too much. I have prayed too much. I have been too concerned about my soul. Oh no, the people of God would always say, had I my life over again, I would walk far more closely with God than ever I have done. I am sorry that I have not served God better. But I am not sorry that I have served him. The way of Christ may have its cross, but it is a way of pleasantness and peace. Let me encourage you, Christian. Pursue wisdom. Find blessing. Enjoy her benefits both now and forevermore. Let's go to the Lord and pray.
Oh God, we confess that you are wise and we are not. So much foolishness is bound up in our hearts. And yet, God, you are kind to reveal wisdom to us, to offer warnings to us, to offer blessings to those that would humble themselves, repent, and turn to Christ. We pray that we would be a people characterized by such humility and wisdom. We pray that you would use us not only to walk ourselves in wisdom, but to offer wisdom to any that would listen and to bring anyone who would listen, who would humble themselves into this blessedness that will last forever. We pray that you would do these things for your glory and for the good of your people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.